Well, it's great to see you all this morning, and um, I'm going to be sharing from God's Word. I don't have a PowerPoint, okay, but I do have some words in case I I kind of lose track. (laughs) Um, Right, so just a little brief kind of recap. Um, We're currently looking at a book in the New Testament which is like in the second end bit of the Bible, and it's the Acts of the Apostles, and we're working our way through the different chapters, we're reading them, and we're looking to see what God can show us um, from those, those passages. Now, the Bible is a bit like the TARDIS, isn't it? There's a lot more in there than you think there possibly can be for a book that's full of words. It has another dimension to it. And uh, sometimes it just comes alive, doesn't it? We can read something and we read a passage and something goes on in our heart and we think, wow. Um, And it kind of gets inside our system. So we're looking at Acts chapters 7 and 8 today. Last week, uh, Ricky spoke to us, and if I kind of summarise what he talked about from the chapters that he was looking at, it was about not lying to the Holy Spirit, and it was about surrendering everything back to Jesus. And then there was a bit of a focus on um, persecution. And we were introduced to a man called Stephen, a man full, it says in in Acts chapter hmm, 8 maybe, I don't know. Well, we'll we'll come back to that bit. I've got it written down somewhere. It describes him as, as a man full of God's grace and power who performed great wonders and signs among the people. And then the narrative that I'm looking at basically continues with Stephen, what happens to him, what happens to the church, and a description of an encounter between Philip and an Ethiopian court official. Now in those two chapters, there's far, you know, there's more than we can kind of deal with in about 20 minutes. So there's a couple of threads that I want to kind of pull out of the story. And then what I want to do is I want to um, say what I think that we might be able to learn from, from this information and how it's relevant today. And then I've got some little challenges for you to go away and think about. And I have something for you to take home. Ooh. Okay, so I just want to talk about Stephen a bit. So we already know he's been identified as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And in uh, the end of chapter 6, basically (coughs) those in power and kind of... uh, you know, the church, if you like, the Jewish church equivalent, they really didn't like what he was doing because he was upsetting things. He was 
doing these miracles and stuff like that, and they didn't like it. And so basically, a bunch of people got together and went to the leaders and said, this man is kind of blaspheming and saying bad things. And uh, chapter seven, uh, so at the start, we've got this question, are these charges true? And the whole of chapter seven, pretty much, is Stephen's answer. There's shed loads of it. And the more I read this passage, the more I thought it was like bear baiting or somebody standing next to a wasp's nest, which they kept poking, take that, take that, take that. Because when you read all the different things that he's saying, essentially he is giving them, so we're talking about the main church leaders, he is giving them a history lesson of their own history. But increasingly, he draws out how they've always been disobedient and basically they've always killed off the messengers that God has sent. So it's not really a good message for them. So that's what I, that's what I mean. It's like he keeps poking them and saying, oh, this and that. And they go absolutely mad and basically they kill him. They stone him. And, um, you know, that seems quite shocking to us in Western society. Um, stoning still goes on. I think I've read of, um, I don't know which Eastern country it was, but in the last, I think, two months, there's been a woman um, stoned to death. Um, and you just think, how, how can that actually happen? Um, it seems so extreme to our kind of society. Um, but they stoned Stephen, and uh, you need to kind of read the detail, really, about how he kind of gives himself to God. And one thing that I just want to kind of mention, really, is that in my kind of reading around this, one author that I looked at said, okay, we today may feel that we haven't killed off the prophets, okay, but like Israel, we have had great spiritual privileges. We live in a nation founded on biblical principles. We have a history of great spiritual opportunities. We've got the Bible uh, in our language and in many different translations. We have freedom to worship without persecution. We can hear the Bible taught on the radio. We just, it's all over the place, okay? And what we need to do is guard our hearts because we don't want to fall into the trap of going through the outward motions of Christianity, but not walking in the reality of living with God. Our bodies are a temple of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we need to make sure that we're walking in holiness before him and not just doing the stuff. Our heart's attitude has got to be good, okay? I just want to mention a guy now called Saul, and in my notes I've put spoiler alert, okay? At the beginning of chapter 8, there's a line, and it says this, and, support, and Saul approved of their killing of him. 
Now, Saul is going to become an amazing man of God, only he doesn't know it yet. And uh, what comes after, immediately after that chapter and into chapter 9, which somebody else is going to be dealing with, all right, is what happens to him. But because of his action and the actions of others, the church in Jerusalem is persecuted and it's scattered. All right, so it's basically, um, it's like something coming, you know, something ha major happening in Basildon, and then somebody comes down, comes along, and you know, shuts all the churches and starts to arrest any believers. You know, I don't think I'm going to wait to be arrested. I think I might be off somewhere. But and that's what happened to, to the church in Jerusalem. They just scattered. Okay. And then we have um, a section about Philip. And this is a wonderful little story, really. Um, and it says that, first of all, that Philip was prompted by an angel. Basically, the angel said, go off over here. And so he goes off over there. And then the spirit tells him to do something else. And essentially, in this bit of the story, Philip comes across this guy who is reading the Jewish equivalent of our Bible. And he's reading something and he doesn't understand it. And I'm guessing he must be reading out loud. And Philip starts a conversation with him. And Philip is able to explain what those words mean. And the man gets understanding and he believes in Jesus. And then they stop the, the carriage and he gets baptized. He says, what's gonna stop me? He baptizes him and then he goes on, on his way. All right, so that's a very brief overview of those two chapters. So what can we learn from these examples? Okay, I, I've, got, I've got four things that stood out for me. So the first one, really, was about the sovereignty of God, that he's working out his purposes. And I wanted to remind you that when we looked at the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament, so before Jesus came, we also had a theme of God working out his purposes. And we see in this book, the Acts of the Apostles, how God is working things out. And I want to read to you something that was in Luke 24. Um, and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, there's lots of bits that are referring to Jesus. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. 
For me, this is like the big story of the kingdom of God. It's like the blockbuster. And it all works out in the end. If you go to the end of the Bible and look at the last two chapters, it's all sorted. It's all sorted. And God is just working things out. It doesn't sound, you know, I bet the church in Jerusalem felt terrible about the persecution and the scattering. But you know, Jesus had already said, you're gonna preach about me in Jerusalem and to all these other areas. And so they went, you know, they went to all these other areas and they started preaching about, about Jesus. So I think in this book, we need to hang on to the fact that God is working out purposes. Sometimes we understand them, sometimes we don't. The second thing that I took from this passage was that actually it's about trouble. Jesus made it clear that there would be division, that there would be trouble, and we need to remember we're in a spiritual battle. Um, I've got a couple of quotes here. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's in John chapter 16. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, which is a phrase which is often used to describe Jesus. That's Luke chapter 6. And then in John 15 it says, they will treat you this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who has sent me. So there are little bits, snippets, in the different parts of the New Testament where it's clear that who Jesus is and the effect that he has on our lives and the effect that we will have on other lives will actually be a source of trouble. But Jesus has overcome the world. The next thing that this spoke to me about was death and life. And actually, I nearly I, I was thinking, what, what heading shall I come up with for today? And I ummed and ahed about saying, this is about uh, death and life, or this is about dying and living, because I thought people would think, what on earth, where is she coming from with this? But in what I was reading, about what happened to the church, to me, it was a picture of something that seemingly was being damaged and killed and wrecked and ruined. And yet out of that death and destruction came life. And I see that image scattered throughout the Bible about something coming to an end and something new. So without stating the obvious, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus coming back to life. Um, let me just read, in John's Gospel, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed but if it dies, it produces many seeds. In the same way, this is from Romans, count yourself dead to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then this is in Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. There are those kind of contrasts. And so I, I just saw how in this, what was happening to the church seemed like death, but actually even greater life came as a result of it. And then the last thing that I particularly saw as coming out of this, these chapters was about the work of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, you know, we know that the Acts of the Apostles starts with a giving of the Holy Spirit in a way that people have never experienced before. And in the examples that we have with Stephen and with Philip, we get a different side of how the Holy Spirit might help. Um, in Luke 21, it says, And you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adv adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So Stephen's under pressure and he comes out with this amazing kind of history and he's challenging them and speaking to them. We look at Philip, Philip is just getting alongside one person and he's speaking to this person about Jesus. And in Acts chapter one, we were told, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, right out to the ends of the earth. And so I want to encourage us um, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us in any situation we're in. Um, obviously, we all hope that we're not going to be persecuted and physically threatened. Um, but we look at the church across the nations and there are places where if you owe the name of Jesus, you could be beaten, imprisoned, I guess you could be killed, uh, life could be very difficult for you. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not like saying, yeah, yeah, I want to sign up for that. It's, it's you know, that, the very idea of that scares me. Um, and yet, we hear different stories. I remember, I can't remember her name, maybe Sister D, I want to say, um, somebody we met from China and um, talked about how miraculous things had happened, miraculous hiding from officials and different things that had happened because they were in a place where if they were found, they would have been imprisoned. And, you know, that just seems out of the realm of our experience. But if we um, look at Open Doors, which is a charity that supports people who are Christians in difficult places, we would read all sorts of stuff that we think is very foreign to our society here today. 
However, we face different kind of challenges, don't we? Maybe it's a kind of um, a softer challenge. Um, you know, people are, you know, go and talk to somebody about Jesus and suddenly there's a kind of two-mile radius around you. People don't want to, oh, come, we've got, got a real weird one here. Um, we live in a society where faith on the whole is not valued and different aspects of faith are very directly challenged and it's all kind of like under the radar um, but it's quite um, although it's kind of under the radar and nobody's coming up to you and kind of challenging you in your face like that somehow it's kind of a bit dra- it, it drains and it's wearing um, but we have the Holy Spirit to empower us Okay, I'm going to leave you with four kind of statements, really. So, one, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. All right, and in trusting that, that doesn't mean we don't say to God, I really don't understand what this is about. That's not, but we need to make a decision to trust that he's working out his purposes. The second thing that I want to say to you is that you need to take heart because he's overcome the world. The news these days is a bit grim. Um, I won't mention the unmentionable word, um, but if you want to know what the unmentionable word is, come and see me later. (laughs) All right, but take heart, okay? We've got Almighty God with us. I want you to think about denying yourself. We live in a world where the message is deny yourself nothing. All right. Whatever you want, you have that. All right. Deny if we go to that um, the bit in Luke where it says, "Whoever wants to be my disciple, if they want to save their life, they will lose it." but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I know it's back, it's, it's back to front, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. But as we put ourselves second and put him first, we will know um, a great freedom in our life and we will know relief and release And we will experience stuff that maybe we didn't before. I I think about what Ricky was saying about surrendering. If we have things either in us or we have belongings and we don't surrender those to Jesus, how can he fill those things and how how can he use those things if we don't give them to him? and say, you have this. Fourth thing that I want to say is receive the Holy Spirit's power. Know him at work within you. Now all this comes if you would describe yourself as a believer. And maybe, maybe you've never thought about trusting God 
um, uh, maybe the idea of um, you know laying something down to God and letting him give it back to you seems a, a bit strange but a journey with Jesus will transform your life and if you want that transformation and you've never thought about it before don't hang back uh, talk to me talk to Ricky or Brian or Keith and Barbara and ask them what that transformation has meant for them and um, they can talk to you about that now I want to finish on a verse which I'm going to tell you is completely out of context all right I just love the words um, and it's it's this it says sow righteousness for yourselves reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you and I for me it was the it was about uh, breaking up the, the, the unplowed ground it's time to seek the Lord and the little thing that I want to give you I have uh, these are runner bean seeds okay you can eat them they're not poisonous all right um, obviously little mouths might not be good plan Right. I want each one of you to have a seed and I want you in this next week to think about what it is in your life that you could kind of have fall to the ground and what you could let go um, and what God would do in your life kind of as a result of that so what would grow in your life okay so I'll give you all of a seed um, runner beans they're great growers and you know they make masses of more runner beans and we can eat them so take take the seed and ask God to speak to you about what it is that you can lay down and what it is that he can grow in your life.